Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather together as a body of believers and sing and pray and study your word. Father, I pray right now that as we open your truth, that you would speak very clearly to us, Father. I pray that you would just open our eyes to be able to see and understand. I pray that the, the truths that we read would be challenging to us, Father. I pray that we would take what we've learned and apply them to our lives. And I pray, Father, through every Sunday morning, through the power of the Spirit, we would be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Happy New Year, by the way. It's nice to be back in a a little bit of a routine and kind of get back to work first part of the year. I'm going to take a few weeks off. Those of you that have been with us for a little while know I've been preaching through the book of Acts. I'm going to step away from Acts for just a few weeks. We'll go back to that study. But I believe the next six weeks for us are some of the most important weeks we've ever had in the life of this church. God has done some pretty incredible things in our church over the last several years. We've seen a lot of growth. We've seen a lot of young families. We've seen a lot of children. We've seen a lot of teenagers. God has really blessed us. We've taken a lot of those people and trained them and and sent them out into the world. We've sent hundreds of people around America and around the world to share about Jesus Christ. You saw one of the teams this morning that's going this afternoon. We've made a huge impact over the last several years on children locally. You may not know this, but through foster care, through safe families, through adoption, dozens and dozens of children have been impacted and are currently being impacted because of the ministries of the people of Rosemont Baptist Church. And one of the reasons I believe that this church has done so well, really since its inception for 50 years, is because we've been faithful to trusting and following the will of the Lord in our lives. We've just been faithful to go, we've been faithful to serve, we've been faithful to give. I started looking back over the last several years, you know, you you can convince people to do a lot of things, but part with their money is not usually one of them, right? That's kind of difficult to do. And I look back over the last several years at the amount of money this church has given to missions and to needy and to help people in our community and around the world. In fact, if you were to go back and add up, and I haven't actually added it up, but I I think I'm pretty close here. I think maybe over the last five or or, or six years, I think we've given over a million dollars toward mission-type activities. That's through cooperative program, our yearly uh, giving that we do towards mission offerings, Lottie Moon, all the monies we spend on our trips every year. I think we spent over a million dollars. And here's the amazing thing about the money. You've given that money so we can in turn give it away. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Very different than how most of the world operates. Typically the money we receive, we don't turn right back around and give to somebody else. But the Lord has blessed this church. He's opened up your heart. And so we've given away all this money over the last several years simply for the sake of the kingdom. And I want to say this. I want you to hear me say this and understand kind of where we're going with this. As long as I'm your pastor, I'm going to continue to challenge you to go. I'm going to continue to challenge our church to send people out, whether that's across the street, whether that's the cubicle at work, 
whether that's across the hallway in school, whether that's South Asia, we all ought to be going and sharing and reaching. That's our call scripturally. We're going to look at that in just a few minutes. So I'm going to continue to challenge you. I'm going to continue to push you. Our role, I believe, and our job scripturally is to go and to send and to share. We're going to keep doing that. But there comes a time in the, in the life of every church where we need to give money for the facilities of this building so we can continue to grow, continue to reach people, continue to send people out. And one of the reasons we've been able to give so much money lately and send so many people out is because so many people have been coming to our church. We've seen growth in our worship services. We've seen growth in our preschool department, our children's department, our youth department. Every area of our church at this point is seeing growth. And the good news about growth is it's exciting because the Lord's working. But there are challenges that come with growth as well, aren't there? And the challenge we face right now in a lot of different areas is that we're out of space. You probably know this. If you don't, let me just tell you. We already have three worship services and two Sunday schools. We've already moved our children's department around on Wednesday nights. They meet out here now and in part of our fellowship hall. We've already done things to expand areas of our ministry. We're, we're trying to use every square inch of the space that we have given us. But we're out of space and we need to do something about it. Praise the Lord for that, by the way. Now this church several months ago, as you are well aware, approved the expansion of our current facilities. And so for the last several months we've been finalizing and working and, and kind of moving ahead. But here's where the rubber meets the road. This is really important. I'm going to get to some details here in just a second. I want you to understand. But, but, but for all of the, the pictures and the design and the vision and the concept and, and the excitement... For all the things that we've seen and we're going to continue to see, those things won't amount to anything if we don't give and sacrifice to actually make this happen. Do you understand that? A vision is just a vision until we do something about it. A vision is just a vision until we decide we're going to serve the Lord and give accordingly so that His plans and His vision can take place. And so here's what's going to happen. I want to give you just a little heads up. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to be preaching through this idea of facilities expansion and growth and specifically giving. And then on February the 11th, and you can put that on your calendars and you'll hear a lot about it between now and then. That's going to be our commitment Sunday. Here's what's going to happen on February the 11th. We're going to ask you to make a financial commitment to the growth of this church. Now, I'm going to stand before you unapologetic. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> Right, if you've ever been here or you spend any time, you know I don't talk a lot about money. I just don't. I've always trusted the Lord for that. I just don't preach a lot of sermons on money. A lot of pastors tell me I should. When I talk to them, I just never have. But I'm not going to apologize to you when I say to you, listen, we need you to give to this. We need every family to be part of this. We're calling it the Legacy Project, right? The Rosemont Legacy Project. And the reason we're calling it that is because we've got an incredible legacy at this church already established. If you were here back in the middle part of October, we celebrated 50 years in the big field out here beside the church and had just a bunch of people out for our worship service. And, and we celebrated all the Lord has done. It's been 50 years now and a few months of incredible faithfulness by the Lord. Right? We want to call this the Rosemont Legacy Project because we want to build upon that legacy of the past and propel us into the future. Right? We, we ought to be thinking, you know, praise the Lord for the last 50 years. What now about the next 50 years? 
So, so the Legacy Project, the Rosemont Legacy Project, is our desire, it's our attempt to trust the Lord, to move forward with this vision, to expand our facilities, and so to prepare your hearts, to kind of get you ready, to get you excitement and, and where you need to be uh, over the next few weeks. I'm going to be beginning this morning in Matthew chapter 16, so you hopefully you've already flipped there, you've already got it open in your Bibles, we have it on the screen as well. We're going to begin in verse 13. Read through it and then really focus on one verse there towards the end. Just a quick background so you kind of understand what's going on. The Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been walking around uh, doing miraculous things, healing people, uh, great things have taken place. But one of the things we notice about Jesus in his uh, travels and in his ministry is that oftentimes the Pharisees would question him. And one of the things they question him on on a pretty regular basis is, by whose authority are you doing this? Who gave you authority to say these things? Who gave you the authority to, to produce these sorts of miracles? How are you able to do these things? And oftentimes it leads to a discussion with the Pharisees. And then usually Jesus will go back later with his disciples, his followers, and kind of recap the discussion, re-ask the question, and teach his disciples in that moment. This is what happens in Matthew 16, verse 13. Discussion with the Pharisees. Questioning his authority, now verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And who do people say that I am, guys? I mean, what are they saying when they talk about me? Verse 14. And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, verse 15, he asks a, a, a very important question that his disciples had to answer, and every one of us need to answer as well. He said to them, verse 15, who do you say that I am? And by the way, that's a question every person is going to one day answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Verse 16, Peter does what he usually does. He answers first, and he replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, the, the, kind of the focal point of what we're going to look at this morning, verse 18. And I tell you, Jesus still speaking, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, as we kind of prepare our hearts for this legacy project and for the expansion of our facilities and a capital campaign, I wanted to start this morning by just being reminded of exactly who the church is. I wanted to be reminded of exactly who Christ calls us to be and what he wants to accomplish through us. And so there's some just real simple basic ideas I want you to get this morning that I think sometimes we overlook and forget. Here's the first truth. We have it on the screen as well. Right out of verse 18. Number one, the church belongs to Jesus. Right? It's not my church. It's not your church. We don't own it. We don't get to decide what happens here. This is all about Jesus. He's our foundation. He's our God. He's our shepherd. The church belongs to Jesus. All right, we see that in verse 18. If you pull that back up for me, please, just look very simply. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build what? My church. All right, not your church, Peter. <laughs> not your church, John. Not any of the followers' churches, not, not this guy's church or this group's church. This is my church. Right, now, here's what happens when we read this passage of Scripture. If you're familiar with this uh, verse or maybe with the discussion that surrounds it, you'll know that this is kind of a, a hot-button issue in Scripture. 
And depending on which denomination, honestly, you listen to and study, you'll get a different answer for what's asked in verse 18. Right? Because the question kind of arises, and scholars have debated, debated this really for centuries, what is Jesus talking about here, right? He's talking to Peter. I, I, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Well, what rock is he talking about? That's the question. And it depends on who you ask. Like if you were to go to a Catholic person or a Catholic scholar, they would say, well, the rock clearly is Peter. There's the word play in Greek with the Greek word for Peter and rock. They're very similar. So he's saying he's going to build his church on Peter. And the Catholic church would say, so Peter, therefore, was the first pope. There was a line of succession from Peter all the way to where we are now. This is clearly God's plan for the church. That's what the Catholic church would say. We would say something more like, well, we believe the foundation is on Christ himself. Right? On, on the, the commitment to Christ and on salvation in Jesus Christ. We would say that's the rock upon which the church is built. But, but here's the problem in this argument. And I'm not going to flesh that out. I'm happy to talk with you and we can go into some detail about the argument and kind of what it looks like. But here's the problem. When, when people get into this argument and get into this discussion, oftentimes they miss the truth that Christ is giving them about the church itself. They they kind of miss the the key idea of exactly what the church is. So I want to define for you as as we kind of move through this together. First of all, the church. So if I were to say to you, listen, what what is the church? How would you define the church? Well, I looked it up in a dictionary, online dictionary, Webster's Dictionary. Here's the dictionary definition of a church. It's a building used for public worship. Now, we use that sometimes in our conversation, don't we? We'll say something like this to the kids. Hey, uh, let's get our shoes on and get in the van. It's time to go to church. Or we're riding into town and I say, listen, I need to stop by the church this afternoon and, and pick something up. So we, we, we kind of use it in that sense in discussion. But, it, but if we were honest and we really wanted to understand the, the scriptural meaning, we would see that that's not really what Christ intends when he says church. In fact, the, the Greek word here is ecclesia, like ecclesiology is the study of the church. Right? So the ecclesia is basically not a building, it's a group of people that are gathered and called out. That's what ecclesia means. So we talk about the New Testament church, we're not talking about a building, we're not talking about brick and mortar or two by fours or shingles or rafters. We're talking instead about the body of believers that trust Christ and follow him. That's the church. That's why we can have a worship service in a field and call it church. We don't have to be in a building, right? And Paul talks about this in the New Testament. He alludes to this idea on several different occasions. I want to give you just a couple of examples so you kind of understand, again, this idea of church. Paul, when he's writing to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So I'm writing to the church, Paul says, those sanctified in Christ Jesus. He says in Galatians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And he says, all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Right? So, so there's, this, there's this sense here scripturally that it's the people, it's the Christians, it's the brothers and the sisters that make up the church, right? You, you remember the little saying, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, there's all the people? Wrong. That's not right. It's really not because the church is the people. Right? Open the door, there's all the people. We, we are the church. We are the living, breathing body of Christ. That's what the scripture teaches us. And so we see kind of this idea of the, the universal church, which is all believers of all time, past, present, and future. 
And then we see the local church, right? So there, there's going to be in heaven the reunion of all believers of all time, the church universal. But then the individual people that are believers in different parts of the world meet as individual churches. That's what happens here at Rosemont. Right? We meet as a local church just like millions of other brothers and sisters do all over the world. But here's what we say. This is important. This is kind of where we're going with this, right? The church is not the building. It's the people of God. That's why when we go to places like Africa, we can meet in a mud hut with a thatched roof and, and uh, logs about that big around taken from trees that are the benches we sit on. It doesn't have to be a building like this. That's why we go to South Asia. These guys that are going to go to South Asia this week. They'll worship in people's homes. They'll sit on a concrete floor without chairs. Uh, by the way, it's summer over there because the, you know, the, no it's not. That's Africa. It's summer in Africa. Never mind. It's uh, northern hemisphere, so it's cold. So you sit on the concrete floors. It's cold over there, right? There's no heat, typically. They're going to sit on the floor. They're going to worship in the church, even though it's in somebody's house. That's why we go to, to, to Central America, and we can sit under this open-air pavilion in San Juan Mocha, where we have partnered with these people, and we can worship in a church, even though it's different than our building, because the people of the Lord gathered together are the church. Now, this is what's important. Here's what I want you to get through all this. The building is simply a tool we use for ministry. I want to say that again. I don't want to miss this. The building is a tool we use for ministry. Right? So think about it like this. Let's, let's, let's make it simple. If we didn't have enough Sunday school books for our third grade class, we would just buy more books, right? If we ran out of uh, food at one of our leadership banquets, we would simply just provide more food. If we didn't have enough chairs and a Sunday school room, we would simply bring in some more chairs. Why? Because those are tools we use for ministry. So I don't want to over-spiritualize the building, right? I don't want to act like this is where the Lord lives, because that's Old Testament versus New Testament. He lives in our heart. But at the same time, I don't want to under-prioritize the building either. Right? The, the building is not the church, but it's a vital part of what we do here. It's incredibly helpful to accomplish the things Christ has called us to accomplish. He's blessed us with these facilities, and we need to use them for his honor and glory, right? So let's continue to think through this, right? If, if Jesus owns the church, if the church is the body of believers, let's look again at verse 18, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, right? Because the church belongs to Jesus, that's the first thing we've seen scripturally there. Truth number two, Christ then builds his church. Right? Because the church belongs to him, it's his responsibility to build it. Right? Look back at verse 18. Pull verse 18 back up if you would from please. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, who's going to build it? Three of you saw it. Let's see if we can all see it now. And I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. That's Jesus talking. I'm going to build my church, Peter. I'm going to build my church, Peter. Now, you, you may or may not know this, but there's a whole world out there of kind of church growth statistics and, and marketing strategies and you can go to these conferences and you can read books and you can bring in consultants and, and there's a lot of different ways of, of growing churches. And, and listen, on, on some level we would all agree we want the church to grow. We want more and more people to come to Christ. We want more and more people to hear the gospel. Of course we would all agree with that. But sometimes churches take different kind of uh, approaches and different directions because they simply want to gather a crowd. I had the opportunity this last week to go to Passion. If you don't know anything about passion, passion is a gathering of college students for uh, 
you know, two or three days in big arenas in different parts of the country simply to worship and to hear great speakers. We had a, had a fantastic three days. It was kind of a night, all day, and then the third morning. We took about 30 college kids from our church here. There were eight or ten of us, leaders that went. I just got to kind of hang out with those kids, listen to great speakers. And we were in an arena kind of in north uh, east Atlanta, about 13,000 students there. There were another, I don't know, 14 or 15,000 at Phillips Arena at the same time. Another big group in Washington, D.C., about 13 or 14,000. They had it kind of simulcast. We could see one group. They could see us. But you're talking 30, 40,000 kids gathered together to worship. And I love it because you get all these kids together and there's just the name, passion. There's a lot of excitement. But one of the ladies that spoke, Priscilla Shire, some of you ladies have read some of her books. You've done some of her Bible studies. Uh, she, she made this comment at one point as she was talking that a church had invited her to come speak. And the church made the point of telling her, listen, we don't use the name Jesus because it's offensive to people who hear it. Now, that, you, you had the right reaction, by the way. I'm glad you didn't go, yeah, amen. That would have been the wrong reaction. <laughs> glad you had the right reaction. Because that's our reaction. We're like, Whoa, we're kind of taken aback by that, right? But there are lots of people that want to do that. Right? And I'm not, the Lord can judge those kind of people. I'm, I'm just saying, we're not going to do that here, right? That's not the way we're going to gather a crowd. So we say, okay, great. If this is the Lord's church, this is Jesus' church, which it is, and he's going to grow it. How does he plan on building his church? Right? Because he says, I'm going to build my church. What, what does he expect us to do then if he wants us to be part of that process? Well, there's a model found all through Scripture that you guys are probably familiar with. We've, we've seen it in several different verses. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Acts 1, 8. Several portions of the New Testament. Several portions of the Old Testament. And, and what we see in these verses, Matthew 19 and 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? There, there's this kind of built into the, into the fabric of Scripture is this calling to go. We see in Acts 1.8, you're going to receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Right? There, there's this sense that we're called to go. So, so part of our calling as a church, part of God's plan as a church is to send his people out into the world. And I've said this before, I'm going to continue to say it probably till to, to you get sick of hearing about it, but Christianity is not a passive sport. It's not a passive activity, it's active. Right, there, there are very clear callings in Scripture on your life. One of them is you go and, and share your faith and share the love of Christ with people around you. But Matthew 28, sometimes we leave a portion of it out. Right, some people call it the great omission of the great commission. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make, does anybody know the word? Disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Right, sometimes we, and, and Baptist churches probably are the worst of this. Praise the Lord, we're big into evangelism. We want to go share and we want to baptize people. That's what we want to do. But the failure sometimes of the Baptist church is that we bring people in, lead them to Christ, baptize them, and then just kind of set them free until we go find somebody else to get saved. Now, now, we need to keep leading people to Christ, and we need to keep finding new people to minister to, but we need to find a way for these people that have been saved to be now discipled. That, that's the calling of Scripture. That's what we see in Matthew 20. That's what we see in Ephesians 5. That it's the call of the leadership to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Right? One of the things I love about this church, we're calling this the Rosemont Legacy Project, one of the legacies we have as a church is the idea that we've always gone, we've always been sharing, we've always been evangelizing, evangelizing, reaching people for Christ, baptizing people, and discipling. That's really the legacy of this church. And here's what we see scripturally. When a church follows this model, 
When a church is willing to go and share and lead people and then disciple people, when that model is followed, the Lord blesses the church. And typically what we see when that happens is that the numbers of the church increase. Why? Because more people come into here, more people get saved, more people get discipled, and then more people get sent out. And so, so here's kind of the way I want you to view this model of the church. Here's how I want you to kind of see this building. This building is not the church. We're the church. But the building plays an important role for us. It gives us a place, kind of a central hub and a central location to equip, to train, to teach people, to now send them back out in the world. So, so we could see this almost like a, a sending factory or an equipping factory or a leadership factory or whatever word you want to fill in right there. It's the idea that we're going to bring people in, we're going to get them saved, train them, equip them, and then send them back out somewhere into the world. Maybe that's your office, maybe that's school, maybe that's somewhere around the world. You know, I started thinking about all the Lord has done through our church the last many years with seven or 800 people, whatever the number is. Imagine what he would do if there were 1,000 people from Rosemont. Imagine what we could do through 1,200 people from Rosemont. Imagine what we could do through 1,500 people. Imagine how many more people we could send out. Imagine how many more times the gospel could be shared. Imagine how much more money would be given for the sake of the nations. Right? We, we begin to understand this church as, a, as a, a tool that we're using for ministry as a kind of a sending factory, a place that we can gather people together, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and send them into the world. And because we've been faithful to this model of going and sharing and discipling, more and more people have come, our numbers have grown, and praise the Lord, now we're at a place where we need more space. Now I want you to notice what's going to happen here as we kind of finish this thing up. Matthew 16, verse 18. Let's look at that together. Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. We've already seen that, right? So that's the, we've established that the church is Christ. We're the bride of Christ. He's going to grow the church, right? He's got the plan. But look at the last part of that verse. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? Just follow the progression here. Because it's Christ's church, that was the first truth. Because he will build it, that was the second truth. Number three, the church will continue to grow and reach the world for Christ. If we follow the model, if we recognize this as the church of Christ, that he's going to use us, he's going to move us, he's going to build us, when we follow that model and trust him, Christ then will grow our church as we continue to go into the world and reach people for him. Now, now here's the danger of a lot of people. This is kind of where a lot of people fall out now. I have conversations with people like this. They look at the surrounding uh, uh, areas and they look at the kind of society in general and they look at our country and our world and, and they, they kind of have this fearful view of the future. But if you're a little bit older, you'll remember that, especially in the South, the, the church kind of dominated society in the local town, didn't it? And that's why most, not all, but a lot of First Baptist churches are right there close to the square because it was central, it's important. My dad used to tell me stories. He grew up in Noonan, Georgia. First Baptist Noon is just a block or so off the main square, just like First Baptist LaGrange is a block off the square. He used to tell me in Noonan when he was a kid, on Wednesdays at noon, everything shut down. Why? Because they were going to church on Wednesday night. You know, nothing was open on Sunday. We kind of laugh about that now, but if you wanted gas, you didn't get it Wednesday night. Right? If you wanted to go to the grocery store, you didn't go Wednesday night. It's, it's a kind of a silly thing for us now in the world we live in, but used to the church kind of dominated society, was important in people's minds. They put it first, but now here's what we do. We look at our society and we see the church has kind of been marginalized, hasn't it? 
And we say, well, man, they've kind of pushed us off to the side now. They don't care as much about us. And, and in fact, if you kind of pay attention to what some people say, they would say we're kind of lunatics or crazy. We believe in this silly stuff that's not real. We base our lives on it. We're, we're foolish. We, we've been set aside. We're, we're kind of on the fringes. We're, we're fanatics. Nobody's listening to us. Nobody cares anymore. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves in this place of concern. And, and we may say something like this. You know, I don't think the church can ever be what it used to be. Or you may say, I don't think the church can or will ever have the influence it used to have. Or you may say, I don't, I don't have any real hope that the church can actually reach the world for Christ because we've been so marginalized by society. And until we come to these places of Scripture, like the end of verse 18, where it says to us very simply that not even the gates of hell will prevail against the local church. Do you understand what that means? It, it means there is nothing under all creation that can stop the church of the Lord. There's nothing that can stop it. And when you begin to think there is, it's simply the devil lying to you. Right? God, God has given us this vision. He's given us this calling. And he says there is absolutely nothing that's going to prevent the church from doing the work I've called it to do. Now here's the problem for us, right? We, we put stock in too many other things. So I want to give you just a few. I, I hope I can offend some of you in the process. God's plan is not to reach the world through a social club. That's not his plan. God's plan is not to reach the world through a political party. That's not his plan. God's plan is not to reach the world through a traveling sports team. Not his plan. God's plan is not to reach the world through a business. Not his plan. Now, can God use those things? Absolutely. Does God use them? Absolutely. Can you be involved in those things for the glory of the Lord? Absolutely. But if you're putting your stock in any of those things and think those things are what's going to really make a difference in the world, you're missing the truth of Scripture. God's plan has been and will continue to be that he's going to reach the world through the church. It's central to his plan. The body of Christ, the body of believers have been called to go and share and disciple to reach the world. That's his plan. John Stott said it like this. He said, if the church is central to God's purpose as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the edges what God has placed in the center? And so as we think about this idea of expansion and, and, and capital campaigns and sacrifice and, and giving money, I want to leave you just with three simple ideas this morning. Three simple things that for the rest of this week and over the next few weeks you can kind of remember as we kind of move through this process together. The first one is, is profound, but it's very important. Number one, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to leave here encouraged by what the Lord's doing in this church. We are blessed in so many ways. I often think, I wish you could know all the things I know about what the Lord's doing here. You know, I, I take for granted sometimes that, that, that everybody has the same mindset that I do or sees and understands the same things I do. You don't, I get that. But I have conversations with people on a regular basis. I see things on a regular basis. I see the Lord at work and the hearts of our people changing and doing great things. I want you to be encouraged at what's happening at our church. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to be challenged. I want you to be challenged to understand that if we're going to talk about facilities, expansions, and money, and capital campaigns, it's not going to happen if the people of the church don't give and sacrifice. So I want to challenge you to be generous. I want to challenge you to sacrifice as you give. And more importantly, I want you to hear me here. 
I want to challenge you to find joy in the process. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you right now. Completely honest. Well, when we come to this February the 11th date and we're asking people to give and sacrifice to be part, if your attitude is, I don't want to give to that thing, I don't get, then don't give. I promise it's okay. Because I don't want you to be mad. I want you to find joy. I, w- I want you instead to say, you know what, I- I'm excited that God is doing so many great things in my church. I'm excited to work hard for the future. I'm excited about the legacy we've already created. I'm excited about the next 50 years and what that legacy is going to be part of. I want to be part of that. I want to find joy in giving to that. I want to find joy in sacrificing. I want to find joy in being generous as we walk through this together. And then thirdly, the last thing, I want you to be prepared. I'm going to be talking a lot about February the 11th and kind of what's going to happen there and how it's going to play out and all the specifics. But I want you to be prepared. I don't want you to walk into that Sunday morning not having spent a lot of time in prayer. I don't want you to walk into that Sunday morning not having had conversations with your spouse or your children. Here's a word of encouragement and warning. Families, you ought to talk about this with your kids. Now here's what you need to prepare yourself for, moms and dads. Your kids are, want to get, going, to, your kids are going to want to give more than you're going to want to give. So you need to be prepared for that. I'm just telling you, it's already happened. I've already had some families tell me that. Like mom and dad have kind of got an idea of what they think they can do and they put it to the kids. And the kids are like, why don't we just do something, do this, give this? I'm like, well... It's a lot of extra money. You sure we can do that, right? It's a discussion you need to be having as a family. Thinking about it, praying about it, being prepared for what the Lord's going to do. Now I'm going to make a prediction and I'm going to be done. Almost out of time. I'm going to make a prediction of what's going to happen. I think we're going to answer the call. I think God has been faithful to this church since the beginning. I have zero doubt that he's going to continue to work in this church. None. I have no doubt. I want you to be part of that. I want you to step up to the plate to do the things the Lord has called you to do, to be part of this legacy moving forward. And I want you to understand, very simply, it's not a question of if this legacy that God has given us is going to continue. It will. The only question is, how big is it going to be? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your faithfulness. We thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to worship and to sing and and to praise your name. We thank you for the legacy of this church. Lord, you've always been faithful. Even when we're not. Even when we're not, you're faithful. We praise your name for that, Father. I, I pray for these next few weeks as we prepare our hearts. I pray for the time where we actually make a contribution, Father, and make a commitment, Lord. I pray we'd be generous, all of us. Be sacrificial, Father, but more importantly, we'd be joyful, Lord. We get to be a part of something that's just changing this part of the world for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're going to do. Impact our lives very deeply as we pray through this and make decisions about this. And we want to give you the praise, honor, and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Altar is open. You can certainly come and respond and pray. I'd love to speak to you, but it's your chance to come as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.